Cindy Brownell. It's News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. And I'm pleased to be joined again by Mayor Kim Norton. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Andy. Great to see you. Yeah, it's uh, we haven't we got connected again last fall, and then the holidays came, so we have some catching up to do. Sure. And I guess to start with, a few weeks back, you gave uh, the annual State of the City Address which was done a little different this year from the past. It used to be in the, you know, you referred to it even in your speech as the good old days. Um, the address was done at the city council meeting the first year, first meeting of the year, and it was just right before yep. the meeting, and then everybody yeah, went Ardell about Brady, their business. Yep, Ardell Brady did it at the board table and then, then went into the study session. But over time, what happened was our... Um, because of technology, uh, we had uh, the year in review that started being done. And so the administration would put together great videos, which I actually showed at my uh, State of the City, a great review of what happened in the past year. And it sort of took a little bit of the, a change. it made a change because often what the mayor would talk about is what had happened rather than looking forward into what we're gonna do. And of course we don't have a, you know, a globe to tell us, you know, what's going to happen in the next year. But we can use it as an opportunity to let people know the direction that we're going and our hopes and visions for the future. So um, when I became mayor, of course, you know, we had the pandemic. So we did do it online for the last several years. And we did and I did try to include other um, businesses for a while, other nonprofits. And this 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 year we just did other governmental bodies so it definitely has morphed and changed over the years but we did it as a breakfast um, and had about a hundred and some people that came which was really a wonderful turnout i didn't know what we would get right when we switched from online to um to an in-person but uh yeah so it's a different format for sure and if you want to catch it it's still available on absolutely uh, on youtube it's uh there's a YouTube video. It's also um, on the city's website, and I put it on my unofficial uh, page, my serving as as mayor page out on uh, Facebook. So it's out there, and and on the one on Facebook, I did put minute markers in case you don't want to watch the whole thing. You could click around if you want to come back. You could click around, so that might help a little bit. Um, but the school district, the county. Um, and the city and the county and the city both had administrative perspective as well as a elected official perspective. Um, and the school district, it was during their state convention. So we only had Will Ruffin Jr. or Will okay. Ruffin second come speak, but he did a nice job as well. Any um, highlights? I, obviously, we're not going to talk about the entire speech or expect you to deliver it again, but any highlights maybe you want to cover with our time together? We did talk um, a little bit about the future. Um, businesses, historically, we have had more openings than closings. And I think there's a little bit of a misconception in the community that because a lot of the businesses that many of us know and love have closed this past year. Uh, as recently as yesterday, Grey Duck Theater announced um, they were going to close. But many of these businesses are also reopening under um, new ownership. And that's true of a number of the businesses that have closed this past year. So there's a lot of churn in the market. And just to, you know, I wanted to reassure people, it's not just here. This churn is happening globally. It is happening in cities across the world as a result of 
what we've learned, not just the pandemic, but what we learned during the pandemic, which is as you and I are doing, you know, we meet distantly, you know, distant over long distance over um, the internet or in, you know, in different ways. We've learned that we can do that. So the face of city centers has changed. The face of business is changing. And we live in a really innovative uh, city. I did talk a little bit about the history of our community as a city of innovation and change over time. And and businesses are are really reacting and responding to that. And you're seeing more of them have different kind of presence uh, during the pandemic and now even as we move into the future. So we're going to see that churn, but we're also going to see a lot of innovation. And I think um, I mentioned to you that uh, the state, the um, Chamber of Commerce did their economic uh, summit on Monday. And that too inkled the same message that things are boding well, that we do have a lot of innovation and that most businesses, in fact, almost I think all of them that spoke, and there were eight different local businesses, as well as um, the economist that was hired to come in and give his uh, prediction, are all for positive outcomes in the in 2023 and in the future. There are a few federal things pending, whether the debt is agreed to at the federal level and certainly the war in Ukraine that we have to think about. But uh, I, I think things bode well, and I think we, we should have a positive um, feeling about the future and really move that way. So that was one of the the messages that I sent, as well as some of the work that we're doing on our energy transition, moving toward 100% renewables, that work will continue. Rochester's one of the leaders in the state moving uh, toward a more sustainable future. And then I talked a little bit about civility, the lack thereof um, in our community, and and really was trying to send the message that you know constant criticism or jumping on the bandwagon all the time on social media in particular is not beneficial to our city as we try to position ourselves nationally and internationally as a positive and wonderful city to come to when that happens um i think people do it sometimes to poke at me or poke at the city council or administration and really you're hurting your community and asking people that if they're concerns they come you know give me a you know jingle on a phone in an official capacity um and and um, and address and we'll address it right. We're we're committed to addressing the con- concerns in the community, despite differences that we may have, uh, but to do it in a positive way that builds community and doesn't d- tear it down. And that's an issue faced by leaders all throughout the land. <laughs> that it is. We've the social media fight. component has changed things. Some things positively, but a lot of them not so much. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that stood out to me um, during your address, you mentioned this data collection project that's getting underway. And I guess I haven't heard a whole lot about it. Maybe you could explain what that what you were referring to. The city is committed to um, utilizing data. And uh, we took participated with the Johns Hopkins um, University and we've been working with their GovEx department, the Government Excellence Department. And uh, we're part of a cohort of 22 cities across the world that have been working on how do we create a data management system in the city that can help every department. And sometimes it, uh, departments get very siloed and one department will have information. Um, I'll give an example, and this may not be the best one, but it's an example of um, perhaps the traffic accidents are kept in the police department, right, the the accidents that they visit. But the transportation department needs to know what roads need to be worked on and which are the roads 
that are most dangerous, right? We want those two databases to con connect so that we have accurate information from all sources in order to make decisions about what's the best direction to move in. And so to that end, the city of Rochester staff, I went to a couple meetings um, as mayor online, primarily one face-to-face -face at the city lab meeting in uh, November and December. But uh, the rest of it's been online. Our staff have been through trainings and are working in a, co in a cohort. And in fact, just presented um, yesterday online uh, some of the work that they're doing. So it'll be interesting to see that roll out. I think what you will see is not only will we have a data management system that will help the city operate better, um, the city council still will make decisions based on community needs and input and our vision and strategic management, you know, strategic goals. But we will also look at the data in order to make sure that we're making the right decision using the right data. So um, we're trying to align those two things, the vision and direction of the city with the, the data that we have. And my, one of my goals, and I did mention this in my uh, state of the city too, that we're hoping to be able to do um, a 311 system uh, in the next year. So that will utilize data that we've collected and allow us to be able to respond to the community in a using technology uh, in a really fast and appropriate way to get questions answered by the community. So really hoping that as people, for instance, see a pothole, they can turn that pothole in either on an app or through calling 311. We will know who responded to it, that they responded in a timely manner and what the solution was. And we can track all that rather than people saying, well, I made a phone call and nobody responded. We don't want that to happen as a city. We want you to know that when you have a concern, it's been heard. And if it can be addressed, here's how it was addressed and in a reasonable length of time. Every time people hear the term data collection, they, they, not every time, obviously, but there's always the issue of privacy comes up. Is is there a privacy component to no. this? No, there are a few conspiracy theorists out there who have been trying to make this into to something that it's not. This is data that the city already has. It's data that's collected through the um, the uh, uh, federal ACS AC. What's it called? Oh, the census. The census, thank you. Sure. I can thank the acronym uh, for that. The census. So it's it's available data. It's just how do you utilize the data? Do you utilize it? How do you utilize it? And how do you have it in a system that everybody has access to it? And, and if we do this well and we do it right, the community will have more access to the data we have too, to be able to go on, online and, and take a look at some of that. Um, but we have to have a system in place, and that's what we're trying to create. Oh, interesting. Okay. Any other items from your address that maybe listeners would have been interested in hearing about if they didn't have a chance to tune in? Um, I'm not off the top of my head. Okay. Um, they can tune into it. And if there was something that, you know, popped up in your mind, let me know. But I'm okay. I tried giving you a quick high level overview. <laughs> well, I was leading to a break. So well, that, that worked well, so perfect. So we'll okay, do well, I did have, I did think of one thing, but. Oh, you did? Okay, well, we can come back and yeah. talk about that. Okay, we'll do, we'll time. take a quick break and we'll return. We're talking with Rochester Mayor Kim Norton this morning on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. It's the perfect time for your kitchen update. Race to save. Along with Mayor Kim Norton, 
uh, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Before we went into the break, Kim, you mentioned there was one other aspect of the speech you wanted to bring up. Yes, um, it's been in the news a little bit, but I did um, kind of reveal it uh, publicly during my speech, and that is we are uh, morphing our uh, Rochester Ready Group, which was a group of business people that started meeting down organizations, nonprofits, uh, to recover well from the pandemic. We're morphing that into a new organization. It will be a Rochester and we don't have a name for it yet, but a Rochester recovery effort to help downtown Rochester bounce back uh, post-pandemic because we do know um, that the pandemic and, and actually the result of not having as many people working in town uh, because of the work from home aspect, uh, we know that's impacting businesses. And so we have started a, a an organization um, that will be hosting uh, both in-person and online um, efforts to talk with the business people downtown to find out what their major issues are. And we're going to do this in what we would call like a sprint. We're going to do it over the next 30, 60 days, um, talk to them, get their feedback, sort through that feedback, uh, work with them to try to come up with a set of uh, solutions that we think we can address and reach as a group. Um, so the, the group of people involved are all putting some skin in the game with staffing, funding if necessary, to really see if we can't um, help help the downtown area rebound faster. And again, and we know the issues that our downtown is experiencing are the same as cities all around uh, the country and world. And we're actually doing better, uh, which doesn't feel good if you're the business being hurt, right? But overall, we're doing better than many communities, but that's not good enough. We really do want to make sure that our downtown core is solid. And so we're going to see if we can't do something to help them. Um, and we hope to have implementation um, by the spring, perhaps the 1st of May. Okay. Well, I'll look forward to tracking that as well. You mentioned uh, earlier that you attended the economic summit that was put on by the chamber earlier in the week that mm-hmm. was generally a positive message. Were there any specific issues that were brought up during that economic summit? Um, concerning Rochester's economy? I think generally people are very positive and bullish about uh, what's happening ahead. I think locally, the workforce issues, um, you know, unemployment is in the 1% to 2% range. I think we were 1.6 last month, as I mentioned in my state of the city. So we're very low. So it's great for people looking for jobs. They can move up more quickly and they can make more money. Pay has gone up. Uh, it didn't during the last recession. It is now, which is good for people because inflation has also gone up. So it helps people maintain a lifestyle or grow their lifestyle. Um, but the workforce for businesses, if you can't get people to apply for your jobs, you can be hurting. Um, so one of the things we did here is that in response to that, you will see more um, technology and um, even maybe mechanics uh, to replace those jobs that they can't fill. And that's not true of every job, but certainly we'll see more of that. And a few years ago, we heard people crying about that, that it's going to take people's jobs away from them. Now we're hearing we're going to have to do it out of necessity because there aren't people to do the jobs. And part of that is because so many people retired during the pandemic, decided, you know, people older than 65 to get out of the job market. Uh, Millennials want jobs that aren't gruelish, you know, eight to five plus. They want a more flexible schedule with less hours. Uh, so, you know, we're just in a churn right now, but the uh, things were overall quite positive. We just need to adjust to the churn, and we have the community that can do that. Uh, very innovative, creative community. And speaking of your speech, that was another, I don't know, highlight or something you mentioned quite often. You use the word change a lot. 
But uh, yeah. we are in a period of rapid change, aren't we? We absolutely are. It's uh, it's yeah. amazing to watch how, how stable or look back and think how stable things were for many decades. And then just over the last five years to have a, this upheaval of almost everything, not just our city that we live in and our it's community, big. but throughout the entire world. Uh, and how rapidly some of these... Some of these issues were kind of building over time. You mentioned the workforce and automation and all that. And now it's kaboom. It's on us. It is. And it's been hard because years ago up at the, up at the Capitol, when I spent time up there, we were seeing the demographics and we could see this coming. Although the pandemic, because of the baby boomers all just saying, eh, I'm going to travel. I don't need to do this. <laughs> I don't want to do technology. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to move on. Um, it happened faster and maybe more of a, you know, as you mentioned, it just hit, right, all at once. We knew it was coming. And it, but to be honest, it's really hard at a time during a recession, like in 2008, to tell people, don't worry, it's going to be fine in 10 years, you, you know, 15 years. You can't tell people that because they're living in the here and now and they, they're worried about their paycheck, the food on the table for their families, as they should. Right. Another right. area that has been looming for quite some time is the uh, affordable housing issue. But why don't we take a break oh. for news and we come back, we can talk about that and some of the city efforts to address that issue with the mayor, Mayor Kim Norton is with us and we'll return in a few moments on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Business owners, the first impression you make with a potential on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM along with Rochester Mayor Kim Norton, our monthly visit to catch up on some of the things happening in the city. And before the news break, I mentioned affordable housing. And Kim, I saw on the agenda for the meeting, uh, the next council meeting, there are two items dealing with affordable housing. What, I guess what's what's happening on that front with the city of Rochester? Well, you know, affordable housing uh, was a topic that was top of mind when I ran four years ago, and it continues to be top of mind for people in this community for several reasons. Uh, one is we do not have, have enough housing stock, whether it be apartments or homes. And second is the price of those. Um, and there are people that want apartments in all, all price points. Um, uh, some people, younger people, maybe people making a, a nice income want to live in that downtown area or seniors who maybe want to give up their car and live close to the the action, right? So, uh, you know, the needs and the desires of the community has changed as well, but we need to make sure we have affordable housing throughout our entire city. So the city council has been really focused on, let's make sure we have affordable living in every quadrant of the city, as you know, we're divided up into quadrants here in Rochester. Despite our ward, six wards, we have four quadrants, um, but let's make sure that in all those quadrants, we have affordable housing, housing um interspersed uh, so that we don't have it all in one area, which is not good for the people that live there or the neighborhoods or anything. So you are seeing uh, more projects come forward. Uh, we wish, and I think the city council desires to see more homes being built at a, a many price points, but with the, the cost of supplies, the cost of land, um, uh, we aren't getting as much of that as we'd like. Um, we do have some, Levers we can pull like TIF that help in uh, multi-unit housings and buildings to, to, you know, lower the price a little bit so that we can get those affordable units. And we also want um, buildings that have 
mixed income in them that aren't just affordable, that may have some units at, you know, 40 or 50%, some units at 80%, some units at market rate. We want a little bit of everything, just like our neighborhoods um, should look. So you're going to see that coming forward. I think there's a misperception in the community that we don't need apartments and we don't need more homes. And in fact, that isn't true. We have studies, um, the Maxfield study, which is uh, was done a number of years ago and was re-upped, um, was uh, looked at again a second time and, and updated. And uh, we have a need and the city council will continue to work on that focus. She mentioned TIF, tax increment financing. I could see that being helpful for the multifamily apartment mm-hmm. complexes and being able to steer things one way or another uh, concerning city policy. But what kind of tools are available to the city to influence the construction of new homes? Yeah, it's tougher on homes than it is uh, in the apartment area, the the, the complexes. We, we for instance, uh, own some land. And so we can look at land that we own as a city um, and, and uh direct the use of that land in certain ways um, and and we have control over the price of that land of course so that's something that we could do as a city Uh, so we are looking at some properties as development occurs more along the river what can we do to assure mixed use mixed income housing and that is something that we can use for homes themselves um, we have tried a pilot on buying down the cost of um, I guess fees uh, for builders this past year to give them a little, you know, grace on that, but it, it, it doesn't have the large impact that I think um, developers need in order to build homes um, that are affordable. We, we hope, and, you know, we've changed the unified development code, our land, our land development manual, the old one, LDM, where it's now the UDC, all the acronyms, um, but it's the codes that uh, builders have to use we have um, allowed them to, to develop with less parking, for instance, with um, on smaller lots so that they don't have to spend so much on the land. And, and we're trying to do some of those things that will help them be able to build less expensive homes. But it's there's limits to that. And you mentioned the, the lots. And if you look at the lots that are being sold in the city today, um, most often they're more expensive than what I paid for my entire home 20 years ago. (laughs) Exactly. And what we're seeing is people um, like some of us who who have these empty bedrooms, we've talked about this before, who who maybe are like, yes, I'd love for a family to be able to live in this house and raise their children because it's got some extra bedrooms that we're not utilizing. The home that we would buy to replace it would cost more potentially or the same price as the home we're in right now. And so you know, do we really want to go down in square footage and, and, you know, for the same thing? And, you know, I think we're looking at it. Certainly, I think other people are looking at it. But if there could be something that would be the same or a little less, we could free up these properties um, for larger families, which we know we have in this community. Yeah, I remember when Steve Borkhart was with the Rochester Area Foundation, he would often talk about that, that how the current market has things frozen in place. Yep. That the natural flow of things would be you move into the starter home, you move up to the larger home to have your family. And after you retire, you might downsize and move into um, something a little bit easier to take care of. 
And Absolutely. because the market, the way it is today, at the top end of it, the person retiring is not seeing housing options. Yeah, housing yes. options that meet their needs. And so that stops the whole flow. It does. And I do know there are some people out there trying um, to make that happen. Uh, we'll see that, that some folks have bought land maybe before the um, the crash and uh, because of the changes in the unified development code that you know code book that maybe they'll be able to make good you know good square footage size homes that might be appealing to someone but on a very small lot and maybe they could be in a neighborhood where someone does the snow shoveling or someone does because a lot of the folks we're talking about are people who um, you know don't want to do that yard maintenance any longer or the snow maintenance because of their age and health. So we'll see if that'll happen. I'm, I'm very hopeful. I know there are people looking at it and I'm um, hopeful we can see some development in that area in the coming year or two. All right. And uh, we'll keep track of what the city, what exactly is the city council doing uh, at the meeting, the resolutions? Are they just setting these sort of things that we're talking about into motion or is it more specific? Yeah. That, well, they review plans. Um, they've already approved the code. So right now they're looking at people who bring forward developments. Um, I know at one of the recent meetings, there was a development over south, um, what would that be? It would probably be northwest, but really in the core city, city center area um, for an apartment complex, right? And so, you know, there's discussion then that has to happen about, well, what if people have more cars and you're not, you're not requiring the, them to have one or two parking places for each uh, apartment, if they do have the, that many cars, you're hoping they don't because it's on a transit line, but if they do, where are they going to park? Will it clog the streets, right? So those are the kinds of questions um, that you're talking to people about and um, that they're talking to the developers about. And also, how will it affect traffic in that part of the community? Will it make it worse? Will it make it better? How are you going to address the concerns that the neighborhood may have? So all those things are are, are being discussed on the projects that will be coming forward. And okay. You know, hopefully we'll see positive movement. Okay. Um, another thing I noticed on the agenda, and this is kind of minutia, but it represents, I think, uh, might be the first concrete step towards that vision for uh, the riverfront area by the Mayo Civic Center and running all the way up to the government center that the city is acquiring the old muffler shop across the street from the government center from the county. Yes, they are. Since I've been mayor in 2019, and I took that project to the mayor's innovation um, lab where um, people looked at the property, uh, architects, and and gave ideas. Uh, you know, we, we got ideas early on, and they've hired another uh, consultant to grow those ideas over the last year, but it does require purchasing out the rest of the land. So you're right, the Midas Muffler, there's an agreement um, with the county and we're going to buy that out from the county. I think they've come to resolution on that. And then that will allow us to start the development over there um, on the other side. And then of course we have the land behind city hall, uh, the city county building as well, mostly the county side um, that's been brought up again too. And, and there are actually four or five areas along the riverfront that could be really exciting uh, for this community moving ahead. We just have to uh, acquire the land. Uh, the developers own some of it down closer to uh, the you know, where the Sixth Street Bridge will go in. Uh, that area over there, Kmart and and Ampi. Um, there could be some really exciting developments in the coming years there. So I'm 
I'm really looking forward to what happens, but uh, this little, as you say, minutia, this little piece is one step forward. Is there anything in the near term that we're going to see happening, uh, particularly uh, on the lands already owned by the city along the river? Um, I think uh, DMC, yes, is interested in doing some programming along there. Um, and, the, and the Gamble and Associates that um, we've utilized, I think they want them to continue doing some work to build out plans. So uh, I do think there's interest by some to, to move ahead, and the city council will be discussing that, I'm sure, as well. Okay. Well, we already have to take another break. Uh, we'll return with a few more minutes with Mayor Kim Norton in just a moment. On Newstock 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. How far will the left go to win 2024? Will they send out... On Newstock 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM with the mayor. Kim Norton this morning. Um, off the air, Kim, you shared with me. Uh, you got a... You received a rather significant invitation. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I did. So, yes, I received contact from um, our... Congress, representative in Congress, Representative uh, Finstead and his staff uh, asking if I would like um, to go to the State of the Union. Um, each congressperson is given a, a ticket, if you will, uh, to invite someone to attend. And he thought I might like to go. So he called the mayor's office and, and offered that to me. And I thought that would be what a what a lifetime experience uh, yeah. to, be able to, to, a, to a State of the Union. So um, I was invited by Senator Smith last year, but that was online. <laughs> so like the rest of the world, I watched it from the comfort of my own home. Um, but I am going to uh, fly out to D.C. on Tuesday morning and attend the State of the Union Tuesday evening and be back first thing <laughs> early a.m. on oh, Monday. Wow. Uh, but I, I want the community to know that just to remove any um, conflict, I will be uh, paying for that personally rather than asking the mayor's office to do it and just so that people don't scream about wasting city tax dollars, which every time I travel, I hear. Um, I think this is um, important for the city of Rochester to be selected for this um, and to have representation at this State of the Union. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to be there. Uh, but I just, I don't want to have that that argument and fight about, you know, should city taxpayer dollars pay for that trip? So I will be funding it myself. So when the congressman issued the invite, was there any specific issue tied to the invitation that he chose Rochester's mayor to go? Well, we are the third largest city in the state and the largest city in his uh, first CD. So I, I suspect that's why. Uh, and, you know, I, I served with uh, Brad Finstead and his, sec his uh, uh, what would you call him, his first chief mate. of staff or chief of staff, first mate. <laughs> I served with his chief of staff up in the Minnesota legislature. So I do have a relationship both with um, David Fitzsimmons and Brad Finstead. So, you know, certainly have known them for a long time. And in fact, we just had uh, uh, representative Finstead in Rochester visiting, talking to him about city priorities the week prior to this as well, which probably, you know, might have caused us to come to mind as well. But you know, Rochester's the largest city in his district, and so it makes sense. Will, do you do you know where you'll be seated yet within the chambers? Is that uh, 
it's something they assign or <laughs> I have no idea how this goes. This is it's fascinating to me. I don't know either. I know I, we've submitted the information because you have to go through background checks and all the things, you know, that um, I just went through them actually a week ago at when I was up at the U.S. Conference of Mayors when we got to go to the White House for a meeting with the president. But um, you do have to go through background checks. So that's I forwarded them, inf- them the information. They're doing that now. And I don't know where I'll be seated. Um, that will be interesting. <laughs> I imagine you're going to have to get there awful early as yes. well. Yes, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make sure the timing is correct and I can get there. So I, you know, I'll probably walk because it will be probably a mess of cars and, and what have you with people trying to get in. So yeah, I'll have to get there plenty early. I think it's at nine o'clock in the evening. So it'll be a late night, but I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's, uh, you know, one of those things that you just put in your book of how lucky am I to get to represent my community in this way? Um, so it's an honor. It is definitely an honor. It's a, it's, I, I look forward to hearing um, next time we chat an update on what happened, how, how things went. I'm sure it'll be a great adventure. It will be. It's, um, you know, I too am wondering about the seating arrangements and where you are, if I'm up in the nosebleed section or, you know, I, I have no idea. And frankly, I don't care. Um, I'm just thrilled to be able to represent my community there and, and be there at all. So um, I will, there will be no complaints from me no matter where I sit. I don't, I've been in the chamber, so I don't think there's a bad seat there. It's not, you know, strangely enough, it's not that big of a room. It, no, I've been large. in the Senate. Yeah, I've been in the Senate chambers for, um, I don't know, I made it there. I think I was visiting during the time they were having hearings, perhaps for the impeachment, actually. Um, I happened to be in Washington, D.C. touring that time, and I went to the the Senate uh, for that. But I've not been in the House chambers except maybe 25 or 30 years ago for a tour where I peeked in. So right. uh, you, you're one up on me. Well, it's, it's the same thing. It's it's bigger than the Senate chamber, but like everything in D.C., you expect it to be much bigger. And you go in and you go, oh, okay, yeah, it's neat, it's wonderful, and all the history of it. But I, you know, somehow in your mind, you think it's bigger than it is. Yeah, I think the high ceilings... Um, you know, give a false sense of the, the <laughs> enormity of the uh, the actual square footage itself. But um, I'm excited to, to be there and, and uh, look forward yeah. to it. Yeah. And I do remember it's been many, many years. I took a tour of the White House and went to the, you know, the East Room where all the receptions take place. And yes. that was the one that especially I went, wow, this is actually a really small room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the White House rooms are not huge, but for me, this two weeks ago when I was there, I just to see all those portraits of the presidents that we have seen, you know, electronically or whatever for years or on news to be able to see all of those, um, all the presidents uh, was just really, and their wives was, um, was really special. Well, with a couple minutes we have left, um, Kim, you mentioned you were out there for the U S conference of mayors. I was. What kind of issues were at the forefront for the national conference? I would say housing that we've talked about already, homelessness, um, both were key, uh, public safety. And of course, uh, because the mayor's office works with the police department directly, I'm always very interested in those meetings. Um, so, you know, attended uh, attended some workshops on that. And then they had some closed sessions to actually, for mayors to actually discuss the incivility and the um, oh, safety, actually, um, with some police 
and safety experts. So that was a closed session to help us um, really look at our own public, you know, our own safety, our personal safety, and to learn about some of the very sad things that are happening around the country um, to a group of people who never have been targeted before, which is mayors. Um, and, and, you know, as luck would have it, uh, I happen to be serving during a time where some of that vitriol has moved beyond the upper echelon at Congress or at the state level. And I really didn't have much of that at the state level at all. Um, you know, an occasional person who might disagree with you, but nothing that felt threatening or was harassment to speak of. Um, but definitely that is the case these days and, and it's happening all across the country. So we did have some closed sessions on that. Very helpful information um, uh, about our own personal safety and uh, what we should be doing, thinking about our city councils and our meetings moving ahead. So, you know, sad that we have to do that, but yeah. But it's also really nice to meet with other mayors. And I, I had to chuckle. I'll tell you just a funny story if we have a moment. Um, uh, sitting with a, a mayor from California, um, more of a rural, well, I think more of a rural area. It was, certainly wasn't San Francisco or Los Angeles or San Jose, uh, but a smaller area. And his big issue as mayor that he deals with, crows. <laughs> and I got a big chuckle out of that. So I sent him, um, I don't know if you recall, but RDA, uh, our Rochester Downtown Alliance had a had made some little Valentine's Day cards a year ago about the crows. And so I sent one off to the mayor oh, that's in, too funny. in California uh, about crows. And I said, well, you know, we're in Minnesota where it's bitter cold, but we have the exact same issue. So that was fun. <laughs> the one issue that has been stable and steady for the last 20 years. The crows. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, Kim, we uh, we probably have to say farewell for this month and uh, move on with the program. But I appreciate you spending time with uh, myself and our audience and uh, sharing so. sharing all this information with us. So we'll be in touch and talk to you in a few more weeks. Yeah, look forward to you next month. Thank all you. All right, that's Kim Norton, Rochester Mayor, and this is Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Martin Hoke, the inventor of Navage Nasal Care and 